0: Well, good morning, church. Hope and pray you've had a great week, and this morning you're ready to worship in truth. and um, I'm, I'm like excited to get to the end of the sermon because I know what song we're singing, and um, it's one of my favorite songs.'ll when we get there, we get there. It's just it's, it's a good day. I'm just that song was it's a good day, all right? Um, you know, this past week was uh, was Valentine's, and some of you are like, yeah. Yeah, it's Valentine's, right? Um, you made your attempt to show love to another person or maybe a group of people. Uh, depending like, you know, parents sometimes it's like, well, I'll show love to my spouse, but I'm going to show love to my kids. So there might be, you know, an extension out there who you're showing love to. And some of you ignored Valentine's like it's the plague, like it's like, I do not like this holiday, right? Uh, and I believe there are basically three main attitudes out there towards Valentine's, okay? Now, this is just my opinion, okay? I didn't find this in the Bible. Okay, so it's just Rex's opinion. So here's, here's the first attitude. The first attitude is this. Um, I hate this holiday. I've had my heart broken many times. I'm single. I'm lonely. I don't like it. It's Hallmark's moneymaker. Okay, that's one attitude. Okay, there's the second attitude is this, and that is, well, I don't need Valentine's to tell my spouse I love them. They already know, and I've shown it to them for the past 30 years, right? Actually, I heard somebody say that in the store the other day. So that's second attitude, Now, the third attitude is this, right? I can't wait to creatively come up with something special to just wow my spouse. I know she says she doesn't want anything, but I know better. So I will find something, whether it's flowers or candy or jewelry. I'll write a love letter. We'll have a romantic dinner. I will fly her to Paris. I will do anything until Hollywood calls me and says, I want the script to what you just did for your spouse. Hallmark movies will be knocking on my door saying, I want to make a movie about what you just did right there. And then I want you to make sure you post it everywhere on social media so everybody can see how awesome of a husband you are. That's the third attitude. So, um, I'm not quite on that one. And I'm not the first one. I'm somewhere in between two and three. But did, is, that, is that close to the three attitudes out there? Is that somewhat close? Can you line up with any of those maybe? Yeah, maybe not. All right. Well, here's the thing. It was a holiday. It was a holiday we focused on. Love, right? Now Christmas, you think about that holiday, Christmas sort of sort of spreads out to everybody. We just love everybody and everybody's happy and everything, you know. But Valentine sort of hones in more on that one specific person you really love or a couple of people you really care for, right? But what we're going to look at today is not really a holiday about love. It was a special day that God showed us some love. And I'm not talking about the resurrection. That's a, that's a great one too, right? Easter? But this was no ordinary day, even though it's just recorded as another day, right? And we're going to find this in John chapter 13. So grab your Bibles, open them up to John 13. If you didn't bring a Bible, we've got extras in the back. We can bring one to you if you want to raise your hand, or you're like, I'm going to raise my hand. Um, We've got extra Bibles around. John chapter 13, verse 1, and in this passage... We're going to see how Jesus expressed his love. It's, like I said, it's not an ordinary love. It's not a brotherly love. It's not an erotic love. It was, it was God's love, the highest love that could ever be expressed. And, um, and it's amazing because here's the thing. The disciples have been with Jesus for three years now. And they've seen so much. They saw him calm the wind and the waves with just some simple words. With one word, he caused demons to flee, Right? They see this. His teaching is inspirational. It's so full of truth and it's heartwarming. And they're like, nobody teaches like this man. He is Savior. He is Lord. He is like no one else. He is greater than anybody they've ever seen. They witness his miracles. He walks on water. He heals people. He touches the untouchable. He loves those who are unlovable. He gives hope to the hopeless. He causes the blind to see, the lame to walk. He does all of this. And it's love in action is what they're seeing. Love in action. But it's more than love in action. It's just love. Because you see, he is love. He is the embodiment of love. Jesus, I'm sorry, John tells us in another book that... God is love. This is his attribute. This is his character. This is who God is. It says in 1 John 4, 8, he says, But anyone who does not love does not know God for what? God is love. That's God. That's who he is. He is love. He says the same thing in verse 16. So because he is is love, what he does is out of love. 1 John 4.10 says, This is real love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. See, God is love, and what He does is love. In John 3.16, another familiar verse that most of us know, right? For God so what? Loved the world, right? That He gave His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. That whoever believes on Him will not perish, but what? Have what? Everlasting, eternal life, Right? So John 3.16, basically we understand this. God is love. He embodies that love into a human being's divine body of Jesus, right? So love is embodied into Jesus. Jesus now, wherever he goes, anything he does, anything he says, the basis behind it, the foundation underneath it is love. Because that's who God is. Just let that sink about it sink in and just think about it the greatest valentine ever given is from the creator of heavens and earth the lord god almighty he gives us the most incredible valentine his love he is love amazing isn't it then we sit there and think wait a minute why would god love us i mean why should god love us I mean, if he is love and he wants to love us, but do we deserve it? I mean, do we really deserve his love? I mean, we aren't exactly the most lovable at times, are we? And, you know, some of you are like, yeah, right? Yeah, we get it. We know. We are not the most lovable. We have our irritable moments. We have those moments where like, I just need a few minutes away from you. Um, I love my children. But every now and then it's like, mm, my children, right? I love my spouse, but my spouse, oh, my spouse is perfect. Score points? No. Okay. Um, here's the thing. It's like, why should God love us? I mean, it's, it's not like we've done something for him and he's like, oh, Rex, what you just did for me, I need to return my love for you now because you love me. It's the opposite. isn't We love him because he first loved us, we're told. He doesn't love us because of anything we've done for him. I mean, think about this. What can I give God? What can you give God that he needs? If you think back to Old Testament sacrifices, you know, we're going to sacrifice this this, this calf. We're going to sacrifice this lamb. It's like, we're sacrificing this for you, God. You think God was up there going, oh, that was a perfect lamb. I can't believe you did that for me. Such love. Oh, wow, I love you back. No, I mean, his love is first. God loved us and loved us first. And and John, the author of of this book, just loves to talk about God's love. I mean, he he talks about love more than any other author. And, And so we get to John chapter 13. It's the Passover. Jesus and his disciples have returned into Jerusalem. It's within hours that the end of the life of Jesus Christ as we know it is going to happen and he knows his time is up. He knows his mission is being completed. I come to seek and save those who are lost. My mission is coming to an end. I want to spend time with those that I've grown to love over the past three years, my closest to me, my 12 disciples. So they go into this upper room for a last meal together. It's private. It's his farewell discourse and that's where we're at. So John chapter 13 verse 1. Let's read. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. Now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray betray Jesus. Verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. And he had come from God and he would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You'll never, ever wash my feet, Jesus replied. Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, Then wash my hands, wash my head as well, Lord. Not just my feet. Jesus replied, A person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for his feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That's what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and he sat down and he asked, do you understand what I was doing? Now, at that point in time, he's like, do you understand what I'm doing? I'm sure the disciples are like, "Mm, no, right? They would in a few days. They would in a few weeks. And John, who's writing this, it's been years since that took place. After that took place, it wasn't long after that, the disciples went through a time of persecution and and Matthew, Mark, and Luke had written their books about Jesus and there's still a time period. And then finally John writes this book. And he's thinking back like, I get it now. Oh, this is amazing what he did. Oh, and what he did, knowing the circumstances surrounding it, was even more drastic, even more incredible because again, he's writing after looking at all this. So he eloquently writes that Jesus loved them to the end. Basically, he showed off the full extent of his love. Jesus knows what's coming. Jesus knew who would betray, who would run, who would deny. And yet Jesus loves them all the same. And at that critical moment, at that critical moment, he knows that evening he's going to get tortured. He knows he's going to get arrested. He knows what's coming around the corner. Instead of focusing on himself, wallowing in self-pity, like, I really don't want to be with you guys right now because I know what's coming tonight. No, what does he do? He shows the full extent of his love to his disciples. I was thinking about that, which is pretty amazing. Because see, church, here's the problem. You See, I sin. Sin is like, it's like taking a bow and arrow, and you pull back and you let go, and that, that arrow is going towards the bullseye, sh- oh, off the mark. That's what sin means. It means to miss the mark. When we sin, we miss the mark. God says, I want you to live this way. And we're like, Psh, oh, I didn't do it. That's called sin. When we know what to do and we don't do it, that's sin, right? I sin. I make mistakes in life. Here's the thing. You do too. See, this room is full of sinners. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Our sins are different from each other. What one person in here struggles with, another person doesn't but that person struggles with something that this person over here may or may not. And the amazing thing about all that is it's that Jesus still loves us. Isn't that crazy? I've had moments when I could have shared my faith with somebody and I didn't. And I walk away later thinking, oh, I should have shared my faith with them. I should have told them about God's love. I should have said something. The guy just told me one of the dirtiest jokes ever and I just sat there like, <laughs> instead of saying, dude, that's not cool. Why didn't I stand up for my faith? You know, I've, I've had those moments. I had one on the sabbatical when I could have very, very very easily shared my faith. And I was like, hey, I'm on sabbatical, right? I don't need to share, right? And then it hit me later. It's like, wow, I blew it. I should have said something, right? And I'm so thankful in that moment that God says, I'm done loving you. That's not God. In that moment, God says, I still love you. That's amazing. When I was in college, I remember when my dad was in the hospital. He had an accident, took off all of his fingers. They thought this was right at Christmas. They thought they were going to have to amputate his hand. I was so mad at God. Why? Why, why would you allow that to happen to my dad? Right? You've ever had those moments? Like, this is not fair, right? And they got mad. I was so mad at God, I rejected God. My heart got hard towards God, and for the next few months, I basically wallowed in self-pity and doubt. Oh yeah, and by the way, I was attending a Christian college at the time, right, studying to go into ministry, and yet I was still bitter, and I was mad for a few months. But you know what the incredible thing about that whole thing is? God never said, oh, you mad at me? Pfft, whatever. No, God was like, you mad at me? I'll stay right here, and when you're done being mad at me, I'm still going to be here because I love you. That's how God works. His love is incredible, right? So we read in this passage that his love, the love of Jesus, is now being amplified. It says in here, verse 1 says, to the very end. And that doesn't mean, well, it's the end of his mission. What it means is to the full extent. That's a better translation. It means to the full extent. Judas Iscariot, think about this, had just made plans to turn Jesus in, to betray Jesus. Just for some money. I'm going to turn you in, Jesus. I'm going to get some money. And yet, Jesus acted in love. What did he do? How did he show Judas love? Look at verse 4. It says he took on the servant's role, the servant's job, the lowliest of all servants' role. If you're a servant and you're going to wash somebody's feet, that's even the lowliest position. See, in ancient Middle Eastern times, the roads are dirty and dusty and muddy and and everyone has sandals on or maybe no shoes at all, and typically you go into a room and there's a there's a pot or a basin of water and a towel, and a servant would be there to meet you. And before you sat down on the table, it was just the table they said it was low. It wasn't like in the picture where they're all on one side sitting in chairs like, hey, everybody smile, right? No, it was a different kind of table, and we'll talk more about that maybe next week. But they have to recline, so they're leaning on their side, and as they're leaning on their side, hey, somebody's feet's gonna be right near me, right? Ooh, stinky, right? So part of the purpose of what washing each other's feet or washing the feet was so that as you reclined at the table, you didn't have to smell what so-and-so stepped in as they came in the door, right? So that's what's going to go on, but here's the thing. As these disciples come walking and they're sort of looking at each other like, there's no servant. Who's going to wash our feet? (laughs) I'm not going to wash your feet. I'm a fisherman. I'm a strong guy. Somebody should be washing my feet, right? I'm a tax collector. I." I know how to calculate. I'm much smarter than you fishermen, so you should be washing my feet. John's probably saying, hey, don't you guys know that Jesus calls me the loved one? (laughs) I am loved. Uh, I don't think I should be washing anybody's feet. You should wash my feet, right? They're all in their minds probably calculating and thinking, who's going to wash your feet? You should. You should. You know, they're sort of throwing this all around. Nobody washes anybody's feet. As they sat around the table, everybody knew there's a stink in this room, Right? And, like Christians everywhere, we just choose to ignore it and just be polite with each other. Like, something's not right in here. I know, I know. We'll just mount so everything's good, right? We'll just deal with each other's stink. And we don't let Jesus wash our feet and we don't wash each other's feet. But Jesus gets up and says, He took off his outer garment, wraps the towel around his waist, and he begins the process of washing the feet of his disciples. What a humble position he took carefully attending to the dirt and the mud and the crud that's on the bottom of their feet, right? He was serving those that was going to deny him. He was washing the feet of those who would betray him. I can imagine as he's washing the feet of Peter thinking, I know you're going to deny me a little bit. I still love you. As he got to Judas, of all people, Judas, I know you're going to turn me in for some silver. I still love you, right? And every foot that he washed in the Garden of Gethsemane was going to run in fear. But he washed all of them. Simon Peter. Andrew, Peter's brother. James, the son of Zebedee, right? John, James' brother. Philip, Bartholomew. Thomas. Matthew, the tax collector we all know of, right? James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus. We're like, Thaddeus? Who's he? We never hear about him, right? Simon, the zealot, Judas. Each one would deny, betray, or run. All of them. And Jesus washed all of their feet. And then after he sits down, he he makes a commandment. that like him, their master. You know, hey, you should just do what I did to each other. He didn't have... In mind, like this sacrament of foot washing, like, okay, we're going to have the Lord's Supper and we're going to do baptism and we're going to wash feet quarterly, maybe every other week in the church. It wasn't a sacrament that was created. It was what I'm doing, it's called love, serving, that's what I want you guys to do. And you know, the amazing thing is that sometimes great teachers. Teach incredible lessons. Pastors will preach incredible sermons, and we 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 listen to them, and I listen to them, and we're like, "That was such a good lesson. That was such a good message." And then we go on to the next thing, and it doesn't even calculate. It doesn't resonate with us. We just sort of move on to the next thing, right? Some of the greatest messages we'll ever hear, we do nothing with them. Maybe we're preoccupied preoccupied with other thoughts or we're stubborn or I don't know, so sometimes God says I'm not going to teach a lesson, I'm not going to use words I'm just going to show you something and sometimes it's something that happens that we learn one of our greatest lessons and that was this moment Jesus said, I want you guys to sit down, I want to talk to you about serving one another and loving one another just as the flower you know, and he didn't go off on some tangent he's like, he didn't say anything he just got up grabbed the towel, grabbed the basin of water and just started Boom." Washing their feet. You know, I, I heard a story about a farmer. He was um, going down this road, and there was another man out there with a donkey in the middle of the road, and the donkey was just sitting there. And he had been yelling at his donkey, "Come on, get up, get up!" And he kept yelling at the donkey, kept yelling donkey. And as this farmer approached, he's like, realized like you need some help. He goes, "Yeah, I've been yelling at this donkey for the last half hour, and it's not moving. You want me to help you?" He's like, "Yeah, good luck." So the farmer grabbed the big twig he saw on the side. Took that, that branch and went, whack, and just whacked that donkey and goes, yeah. And that donkey popped up. The guy was like, Whoa, how did you do that? He goes, Sometimes you just need to get their attention first, then the listen. And I was thinking, sometimes that's what God does with us, doesn't he? He doesn't like meet us in the middle of a row and say, Let me give you this great big message. Sometimes it just boom, here comes the lesson. He got our attention. He's like, Now, did you learn anything out of this? Like, yeah, yeah, I did, right? And that's what Jesus does here. He teaches us to love others by serving others. And he goes, he goes I want you to look at their needs first. Because here's the thing. We have a sinful, selfish nature in us. We like to look at our own needs and our own promotions and our own life. And, and that, that's natural. That's natural, right? We get preoccupied with wanting to be the first in the pack and, and win out and all that kind of stuff. But Jesus says, that's not the way of my kingdom. See, my kingdom is different. The first, last, last verse. Greatest, least, least, greatest. And we're like, what? That makes no sense. Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 to 4 says this. Paul goes, make me truly happy. by, by, By wholly agreeing, wholeheartedly agreeing on this with each other. Love one another. Work together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look... Out only for your own interests, but also, also for the interests of others, too. Another scripture, Romans chapter 12, verse 9. I like this one. Don't just pretend to love others. Love you, man. Yeah, I love you, too. No, no, no. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. First John chapter 3, 16 and 19 says this. We know what real love is. Because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? He goes on to say, dear children, let's not merely say we love each other, but let's show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So be confident that when we stand before God, See, Jesus shows us. He doesn't just say, hey, I love you. Love you, Peter. Love you, Thaddeus. Nobody ever talks about you in the Bible, but I know you, right? No, he says, i want to show you my love. When possible, put others ahead in your agenda, right? And and we don't do it to get recognized. We don't show love to others to get a pat on the back. We don't show love to others so that everybody else will talk about what you just did for that person. We do this because Jesus said, do what I do. You know why we do it? We do it out of obedience. Sometimes like, God, what is your will for me? And am I supposed to help my brother in Christ right here in this church? Am I supposed to help him? Uh, Why are you praying to you asking if God's, that's God's will? That's God's word. Just be obedient to God's word. Sometimes we're like, well, is this God's, is it God's word? Yes. Then that is his will. Don't complicate it. It's right there, right? Now I've shared some of this with you before, and some are like, "Oh, I've heard that story before." It's sort of yucky, right? And and others are like, "I just started coming to this church recently," so this this is for the, the newbies, okay? Um, See, so my dad uh, has seven siblings, eight eight kids in the family. Grew up on a farm, so think back to the the, the '40s. Um, and in 50s, early 50s, when they were working around the farm, a bunch of kids. And one of the chores that my dad has was to help keep the cattle herded up and in the right field. And so he and his sister, they'd, they'd take turns. He had the early morning shift one time, and so uh, multiple times, I guess. But he, they would be out early in the morning, and they'd be out there, and it's cold, you know, on a cold, cool morning, and no shoes and socks on. And they're like, you know, and it's like, how do you stay warm? Well, they waited for a cow to relieve itself and then they would go stand in a pile of manure and get their feet all warm. Like, ah, oh, that's just gross, isn't it? Okay? Yeah, some are like, ew. And some of you are like, eh, whatever. And I'm going to tell you who those people are. You're the people that go to the 4-H fair, okay? You know what I'm talking about? And you you have animals. You walk through those Fulton County Fairground barns with the pigs and the, and the sheep and the cows. And you're like, I got boots on, I don't care, you know? And meanwhile, there's other people from uh, maybe coming on from Toledo or somewhere else, I don't know, and they come in with their flip-flops and sandals like, oh, let's go see the animals. Like, oh, okay, ooh. You know, and they're trying to avoid every step because they don't want to step in anything, okay? See, understand back in biblical times, here's what's going on. People are stepping in all kinds of stuff. The roads are dirty. The roads are messy right? You're walking where sheep walk, where donkeys walk, where where horses walked. okay? So your feet are nasty, and Jesus is washing your nasty feet. He's not going to sit there and say, oh, uh, why don't you sort of spray those off first, then I'll wash them. Because that's what we try to do. We come into church, we try to spray ourselves and look good, then we come in here so Jesus doesn't have to smell or stink so bad. And Jesus says, why don't you just come on in? I already know what it is. And I will wash it, and I will clean it for you. He had title, he had power, but he stretched him out into himself to a position of serving. We already heard it read this morning. And we're going to go back and see it again. Philippians chapter two, verses six eight says this: Though he was God, he did not think of himself as equally with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him, that's Jesus, to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What's amazing is that earlier a dispute broke out amongst the disciples. We're told in Luke chapter 22, 23. Luke records it, John didn't record it, but Luke records that as they were coming in, they were arguing about who the greatest was. Is that unbelievable? I mean, I'm probably the favorite. I'm probably the greatest out of all the disciples. We do that, don't we? We sort of weigh ourselves out like I'm a starter, you're a bench player. You know, I'm first chair, you're going to be in third chair forever. You know, we just, we weigh ourselves out. We, and that's what these these are disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, been walking with Jesus three years and they're still walking around like, I think I'm better than you. No, I'm better. Right? And here's the funny thing is they were nothing. Nobody knew them until Jesus chose them. Matthew was a tax collector. People hated him. James and Don, they're just out fishing all the time. The only people who knew them were the people that fished with them and the people they sold their fish to, maybe. But now, they're traveling everywhere. People know them as disciples of Jesus. They've become something because God picked them, right? They weren't interested in washing each other's feet. Now listen very carefully to this. Any of them would have gladly washed the feet of Jesus. Just ask him, Peter, would you wash the feet of Jesus? He probably said, yeah. Yeah, I'm not worthy to, but I'll do it. Right? But they couldn't wash each other's feet. And because they wouldn't wash each other's feet, that kept them from washing the feet of Jesus. Think about this. When we refuse to love others, we miss the opportunity to love God. True, so the love of God serves, devotes itself to others, the disciples, not expecting anything in return. You know, that's love. Go back into the book of John, chapter 13. Let's pick this back up in verses uh, 15, 17. Jesus said, You call me teacher and Lord, you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, Have washed your feet. You ought to wash each other's feet. See, I've given you an example to follow. Do as I've done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. See, I, I, I didn't just have a message. I showed you. Now go do what I just did. And by the way, when you do this, you'll be blessed. Not too often do we hear Jesus saying, you'll be blessed, right? Now, you had that big message and beatitudes, right? All those blessings. But very rarely after that do you hear him ever saying, hey, you'll be blessed for doing this. But here he goes, you know what? If you do what I just did, loving others, we'll bless you. Powerful people show their greatness by treating less powerful people with kindness, right? Caring for those who can't care for themselves Getting close to those who are suffering to, to help bring ease, showing hospitality. And, and it's like Jesus, you know, you sit there and think, how do I wash the feet of others? He's, is he literally calling us to grab a, a towel and a basin? No. He's saying, I want you to go look at another person and say, they have value. Go show them love. You might have to start with forgiving somebody. You might be serving somebody. Place your title, place your position aside. Show that person that they have value. Go love them. Go love them. But ma'am, you know what's our first thing our thought is? But what if they have dirty feet? Because <laughs> I know some people, I'm not talking about literally their feet stink, but they're just they're sort of nasty. They got dirty feet, so to say, right? They don't deserve my love. Time out. Do we deserve God's love? We don't, do we? Before we tell that person, you don't deserve my love, we ought to stop for a second and think about We don't deserve God's love. God says, I love you. And they may not deserve your love, but I'm calling you to love them. And I know it's not going to be easy. Charles Spurgeon said this once. He goes, in the world, they criticize this is the business of public press. And it's very much the business of private circles. Hear how gossips say Do you see that spot? What a terrible walk that man must have had this morning. Look at his feet. He's been very much in the mire, the mud, you can see. For there are the traces upon him. See, that's the world's way. Christ's way is very different. He says nothing, but he takes the basin and he begins to wash away the stain. Do not judge and condemn, but seek the restoration and the improvement of the airing. It's easy for us to look at other people and look at their feet and say, Well, I know what you've been stepping in, in your life. That's not the way of Christ. Christ says, come here, I want to wash your feet. I want to show love to you today. Proverbs 17.9 says this Love prospers when a fault is forgiven but dwelling on it separates close friends Church this is an important verse I mean we skip right over verses like this oh it's just a wise saying this is good truth right here listen the word fault means transgression or sin or rebellion of some sort right the word forgiven is a verb which is basically saying we're going to cover we're going to clothe or we're going to spread over dwelling is also translated basically to Peter do it again like you're dwelling on it. You're repeating it over in your mind, mind, right? Okay, so here's the thing. People are going to mess up. We're going to mess up. We're going to fall short, right? We're going to make mistakes. We're going to rebel. We're going to step over the line. But here's the thing. Love chooses to see that sin and cover it up. Sin strips us naked and we are embarrassed and we are ashamed of what we've done. And love says, hey, let me cover that up. I know you're embarrassed right now. I know you're ashamed of what you've done but I love you, and I will not let you feel that way. See, when we do this, we are pursuing love. We are loving others. But when we dwell on what others did to us over and over and over and over and over again, what does the verse say? It separates us, right? Love is learning to forgive and not dwell on the sins of others. I want to say this, especially to family members that are maybe struggling with loving somebody within your own family. The more you dwell on their dirty feet, the further apart you will be. We gotta learn to wash their feet even though we may not agree with them. To show the love to, what did Jesus do? You're gonna betray me, you're gonna deny me. All of you are gonna run from me, but I love you. And Jesus said, I want you to do what I just did for others. It's a command. We need God's true love. We need his true love. There's so many false loves out there. A lot of fakes. You know, you hear scams all the time most the worship team to come on up. There's so many scams out there that catch us off guard. Let me, let, me, let me hone in on just love scams, fake love. You get an email that says, oh, oh, this click here and get to know this person. They really love you. And there's a lot of false loves out here. Back in 2015, the number of romance scams reported was 8,500. Think about this. 8,500 scams reported in 2015. 2018, that number went from 8,500 to 21,000. In three years, it almost almost tripled. The amount lost by those in these scams, because people lose money when they click on these things and these, these fake love things, was $140 million, $143 million last year lost in scams on fake love. There's a lot of fake love out there and God says, I'm love. My love has been embodied in Jesus. It's been given to you. And when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, God says, I give you my spirit. His spirit, which is love, fills us. Christians, If you're a Christian in this room today, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have the love of God in you. You have his spirit dwelling in you. You have that love that says, I will wash your feet even though they stink. I will show that love to you. I don't have to pray about it because I already know it's God's will for me to do it because he commanded me to do it. In his book, My Utmost for His Highest, Oswald uh, Chambers said this, Have you ever been driven to do something for God not because you felt it was useful or your duty to do so or that there was anything in it for you but just simply because you love Him? As a Christian, we're called to serve Christ because we love Him, not because we need to earn His love. In fact, there's nothing else I could ever do to earn His love. Christ already did that. On the cross. He loves you. He is love. His love is in action. And now he says, Do what I did. Learn to love others. Learn to love others. Church, would you stand, please? Learning to love others, for some of us, like, I don't know if I can do this. Let me tell you something right now. As I said, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have that love dwelling in you. You just got to start releasing it. Let that love flow if you're in this room today, it's like, I've, I've never made that decision in my life. I've never asked Jesus to forgive me and to come into my life. Today's a great day to do it. Just as I pray, you can just simply pray and say, God, you know what? I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I make mistakes. Please forgive me. Wash my feet. Wash my, wash my whole body. Clean me up. Come into my life. I need you. I need you to save me then ask Him to be your Lord. Help you live for Him. Because I'm going to tell you something, washing other people's feet, loving others, is not always easy, is it? It's not. We can't do it without the power of God within us. We can't do it without His Spirit working in us. So ask Him to help you to live for Him. Ask Him to be your Lord. When you do that, I'm telling you something. He takes control of your life. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, you're able to love people a lot better than what you're doing right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are, a God of love, a God who loves us so much you died for us, you send your son to die for us, to give us new life, so that when we die, someday physically we all will die, we'll be resurrected. We'll come back from the dead, we'll be in your presence, and there will be a heavenly party. But until that day, you've already resurrected us right where we're at right now, spiritually. To be able to love others. And we've just not realized that we can do it starting right now. So God, forgive us. Remove our sins. Help us to live for you in a way that honors you. Help us to love others when it's hard to love others. We love you, Lord. And we sing this next song, Lord, with praise and shouts. In the precious name of Christ we pray. Amen.